Ruin My Childhood. Hello and welcome to Ruin My Childhood, the podcast where we decide if some things are better left in the past. I'm Kat. I'm Mike. And today we are talking about Mrs. Doubtfire. We are, but before we talk about it, I got an announcement, honey. What's that? We got a new patron on Patreon. Fancy. They, uh, his name is Jesus Rodriguez, and he is part of our executive producer tier, so we're going to be sending him a free Blu-ray that's autographed. Uh, Dustin's coming out of retirement to make some artwork for him, and it's going to be pretty good. Dustin's a little young to be retiring. He retired his artworks, but he's, he's bringing the artworks back. Right. Uh, but yeah, Jesus, thank you so much for, for supporting the show. If anybody else wants to support the show, you can go to patreon.com slash mdxpods and uh, chip in a buck or two, and we got a lot of great rewards. Thanks, buddy. But yeah, Mrs. Doubtfire. On to the episode. What do you remember about Mrs. Doubtfire? Off um, the top of your head. So, I mean, obviously the plot's a pretty easy plot. Man loses his kids, pretends to be a woman. So what, can... What's your knee-jerk reaction when someone says Mrs. Doubtfire to you? Hello! <laughs> oh my god, that's hilarious. Okay, that was really loud. Sorry. <laughs> um, I mean, I remember we've watched this movie within the last five years. Yeah, because um, it's a great movie. It is, is. I mean, it is a great movie. I think in the last episode of the podcast when we announced it, you said, you know, you were a little concerned about the humor not aging, some of the, like, maybe being insensitive. Yeah, well, I think it being set in San Francisco, there might be some um, LGBT insensitive jokes. Yeah, maybe. I can see that being the case in the 90s. Right. Because if I remember, his brother was a flamboyantly gay makeup artist. Yes, I believe so, um, who actually makes the disguise. and the, Right. Uh, the I think there were a couple jokes in there, but we'll see. But other than that, I mean, I remember some of the other big things. I remember uh, Pierce Brosnan is in it, and he plays kind of like his rival who's going after his, his wife or his ex-wife. I remember he does an assault on him, like he gives him like stuff that he's allergic to. <laughs> it was a run-by fruiting. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> what about you? What do you remember? Um, All of it. I remember a lot of things about this movie. I remember that I appreciate that, spoiler alert, they don't actually end up back together at the end, which is refreshing because usually those family movies, you know, the impossible happens. People, you know, just completely abandon all of their um, positive mental health training and <laughs> get back together for the sake of the kids for true love. And, you know, there's just a lot of great jokes. Robin Williams improved a lot of stuff on this film, but this movie is kind of, like, written for him. I, yeah, I definitely. I mean, I remember this movie pretty well, but the only other character, not character, the only other actor I can see maybe doing this role in the 90s would have been, like, Tim Allen, but I don't think he would have been as good. Nah. Did you have anything else, or do you want to go into our, our, our tweets and comments and whatnot? Let's check out those tweets. So... For the last couple of weeks, we have been uh, asking you guys to tweet, comment, DM us about the movies that we're covering and, you know, just kind of let us know what you think about these movies and what you remember. I've got a couple from Twitter. We've got Brian Stever or Stever. I'm not quite sure how to pronounce that. He says, I can no longer listen to Dude Looks Like a Lady without thinking of him playing the broom guitar. <laughs> That's perfect. And then I've got one from TD81. And it says, I've been known to quote lines like run by fruiting the whole time, exclamation point. The whole time. <laughs> or scallywag. <laughs> That's a great scene where she, where, where his mask comes off in the restaurant doing the Heimlich maneuver. Right. Is that was one of those lines from that? The whole time. Yeah. I don't remember She has that her line. little freak out. Uh, Sally Field? Yeah. I, I don't remember that one at all. So on Instagram, Maylive Tuski said, quote, 
Frank, I want you to make me a woman. Other quote. Honey, I'm so happy. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think I've got one more. And then I've got one on Instagram from Mrs. Rodriguez42217. And it says, I remember when the court liaison comes to check on his apartment, he has to put his face into a cake to mask who he really was. <laughs> and I remember part of the frosting falling off his face into her coffee. Oh, and Mrs. Uh, Doubtfire fake boobs catching on fire when she tries to... That's the... Hello! Part. <laughs> yeah, yes. that, that part's famous. I, that's first thing that comes to my mind. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's that's all the comments that I've got. At least the the good ones. Okay. Uh, two. That's just it. That's it. Cool. That's all I've got. Should we go watch the movie? We should. I eat wood. Dinner, 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 dinner. It tastes good. Dinner, 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 dinner. No meat. Big feet. I eat wood. Boom, 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 boom. Ow! Oh, sir. I saw it. Some angry member of the kitchen staff. Did you not tip them? Oh, the terrorists, they ran that way. It was a run by fruiting. I'll get them, sir. Don't worry. Could you make me a woman? Honey, I'm so happy. Oh, come I know you'd understand. Ah, look at this. My first day as a woman, I'm getting hot flashes. Hello! Ah! Oh, I'm sorry to frighten you, dear. I must look like a yeti. Oh, my God. The whole time, the whole time, you would... The whole time! All right, we are back and better than ever. Okay. <laughs> what did you think? I, I, I mean... It's Robin Williams. It's he. He hasn't really made a bad movie. At least his major movies aren't were were never really bad. He was delightful. I I, I enjoyed the movie, and uh, there was only like one or two jokes that were kind of like borderline. Actually, right. no, there were a lot of like pretty raunchy jokes. There were a lot of raunchy jokes that you know completely flew over my head. Even the last time we watched, right? This. I didn't notice most of these. And what's funny is, so you know, I did a little research on it. And uh, one, this movie was directed by Chris Columbus. I somehow never knew that. You know, I forgot about that. And then I heard the music and I'm like, oh, this is a Chris Columbus film. I mean, <laughs> that's definitely hit the music. But um, I, I, I saw his name right when the movie started. He, I mean, any <laughs> any film with a really great performance from a child actor in the 90s, early 2000s is Chris Columbus. Yeah. Home Alone, of course. He's the master of that. Um, But yeah, there's some really nasty jokes like he says something about cunning linguists and stuff like that and i uh, uh, rumple foreskin talking about a vibrator that is so powerful that it could chip her teeth and he also (laughs) says that uh his wife as mrs doubtfire says that his wife has crabs to kind of like push the uh, pierce brosnan's character stew away yeah one of the interesting things about this movie is that chris columbus said that he really wanted to let robin williams be himself an improv and he said he had enough content for this movie to make a PG, PG-13, rated R, and NC-17 cut. Wow. So he definitely got really, really vulgar. You know, I'd like point. to see that on a, like, 25th anniversary DVD. Right? That'd that would be pretty be, interesting. That would be awesome. And then he also filmed everything with multiple cameras because he never really knew what right. Robin Williams is going to do. So you want to get multiple cameras set up so that way you can get them at multiple angles. That's so awesome. Yeah, I mean, like, you really don't know what he's going to do. And it's awesome that, you know, him being Chris Columbus, he has the budget to be able to do multiple right. cameras. Yeah, that's great. I love that. Um, inappropriate jokes. Oh, oh, okay. So the first, like, slightly transphobic thing that I was expecting is when they go through the montage 
where he's basically just like crank calling Miranda oh. and pretending to be all these different people looking to fill the position of housekeeper slash nanny for his kids. So he puts on all these crazy voices, which I mean, like realistically, his voices all sound like Robin Williams doing a voice. Right. Like, he doesn't really do any voices that don't sound exactly like him. Um, but then there's a joke where he's like, I don't deal with the, the boys because I used to be one. <laughs> and then yeah. and she's like really grossed out by it. Yeah. The thing of what's weird about that scene in general is so, I mean, we really haven't summarized the movie. I don't know if we really need to summarize this movie, but not really. basically in a nutshell, he's kind of a terrible husband. His wife divorces him. He doesn't get custody, so he dresses up as a woman so he can see his kids. <laughs> Pretty simple. Um, but that scene that you're talking about he she comes over and says hey i'm gonna hire a housekeeper slash nanny and he goes let me see the ad they're my kids i deserve to see it right mm -hmm. and then he changes the phone number to his phone number very conveniently right or maybe he just changed the number because he wasn't getting calls initially i thought oh he changed the phone number to his phone number because he changes a one to a four and a three to an eight right so so that way she won't get the calls and then she like you said he crank calls her a bunch and then poses as mrs doubtfire right. so that way she's the obvious choice mm -hmm. it's pretty messed up oh yeah he gaslights the hell out of everyone in this movie he manipulates oh, everyone in this movie it's terrifying like, like he should have gotten jail time like so the first time <laughs> that they see mrs doubtfire the children you know he he does a great job putting on this character who's fundamentally different than himself in the movie but he walks up to the little girl and is like, oh, you remind me of Stuart Little. And Stuart Little is her favorite book. So right. immediately she's like in love. And then it's she so goes evil. to the boy and says something about like, oh, you look like an athlete. You're probably a soccer player. I played soccer too. I won three championships. Right. So the, the boys all bought in on him, bought into him. And then it's, yeah, it's super messed up. Like two out of the three kids, he like manipulates right away. Right. So, I mean, overall, I, I kind of want to just go through this movie a little bit chronologically this time, because there are so many things that we just never questioned right. um, until I, I kind of didn't question them until my teens. Um, the the movie starts out with this guy. He's doing voiceover work. This is great. You know, he's sticking to his guns. He has his personal convictions about portraying a bird that is promoting smoking, smoking to kids. Right. So like he quits his job. He draws a hard line. Here's the thing about like voiceover work, though. It's just the one gig at a time. Like, people don't usually have these long-running gigs. And if he did... I mean, if did, it's a TV show. If he did, he would already, like, know about the content of the show. Right. So it's kind of odd that he was there in the first place. But this dude, he, like, he quits his job. He walks off, basically. Doesn't even, like, finish the episode. Goes home and spends a ton of money. He spends a, a butt ton of money. On throwing a butt ton. Because <laughs> we don't swear on this podcast. Let me say anything that I normally say. Um, <laughs> he's, he spends a buttload of money on this kid's birthday party. His son is not supposed to have a birthday party because he's not getting good grades. He goes behind his wife's back, which obviously not the first time. And it's like, dude, you just spent a lot of money that you don't have and you quit your job all on the same day, and you were going to lie to your wife, and you were telling your kids to lie 
to their mother. Yeah. Undermining her. And then, like... You find out it's only four hours. Yeah, they have four hours to pull off this party. Like, how did he think that they were going to set up for a party, have the party, clean up for the party before she came home, and then lie about it? Also, how did he get so many kids at that party? And they all brought gifts. Yeah, did they not... I mean, they would have had to send out invitations to get that many kids to come for them to also bring gifts. Plus, like, someone would have been calling the mom being like, well, Miranda, do you need me to bring dip? Like, right. that kind of stuff. Well, and then his neighbor, who is super, no- uh, like, nosy, does call the his the mom. Yeah. And it's like, how would you not know that's going to happen? Right. And there's just no way. And then he And gets- why were there kids in, like, a 10-year age range in that, that party? I mean, there were like the 90- three-year-olds and then like teenagers. Well, back in the 90s, people <laughs> would just play outside in their neighborhood and like all the kids would get together. So like I grew up in an apartment complex. And- That's even creepier. Come over, kids. We've got cake. Like, no, really? it's a party. I, <laughs> no. I grew up in an apartment complex. There would have been and there parents there. There were kids there. all over the place. And like there were. The- there were kids all over the place. I hate you. There were kids <laughs> all over the place that, you know. Pretty wide age group, so we would play like touch football, and we'd have you know six, seven, eight year olds, ten, eleven year olds, year olds, and you know pretty wide gamut. So I, I don't. Really yeah, have but a I mean, like, that. no one's just gonna send their kids off without checking in to make sure everything's fine. Like, if they know him well enough to go over to his house for an impromptu party, they probably know them well enough to like, like call up it. Miranda and right. be like, "Yo, is this okay?" Or hang out. Yeah, like, why were there no parents there? Just a butt ton of kids yeah. and animals. There's like a zoo in there. Anyway, yeah, he's a total screw up, and I, I really don't feel sorry for him at all no, this I time around watching right. it. Like the character, he deserved everything he got and then some. And it's like it's even more screwed up because obviously he was like failing as a husband, as a father, as a contributing member of society on all these fronts. And then he turns around and puts in this immense amount of effort to gaslight right. them and pose as a woman it's disturbing on many levels right the one one time i did kind of feel bad for him is they they're in the courtroom and he's finding out that he's not going to get joint custody because he doesn't have a home he doesn't have a job it makes sense like they made the right call right um but his lawyer's kind of like not a very good lawyer he's like well you know he already made his decision but miranda's lawyer's looking like super happy that she just like destroyed this man's life and it's like yes he's i mean not- it's for six months until he three can- months is three months but still that's pretty par for the course it, yeah it's pretty good until but, you like, regroup and get your act together but i i you shouldn't be happy that like uh, it was obvious that Miranda was going to get the rights, but to be all smug and happy that this guy's like crying in court, like he was practically crying and she was like, <laughs> I mean, he really screwed up. He did, but still like you can tell this guy is devastated and really, really does love his kids. I, I did feel a little for him in that scene because it's like the lawyer was being super smug. I didn't nah, like that. He's a big screw up. Um, I mean, like he went with his convictions, not supporting smoking, but that's it. Right. <laughs> Other than that, no. I did feel for him a couple times throughout the movie. So, you know, he goes and meets this uh, liaison and she sets him up with a job. Do you have any skills? And he, like, makes all these jokes and she's not impressed. And then they have the first time with the kids are over. <laughs> he did a great apartment. impression of a, a hot, hot dog. dog. Yeah, that was really good. And he just goes, like, limp or stiff in the chair. Um, but the kids are over at his apartment and they're having, like, Chinese food. Can and- we segue on his apartment for a second? Yes. She Miranda walks into his apartment. This is, like, the first time she's seen it. And she looks around like this is the biggest 
pigsty poop hole. <laughs> it's the biggest poop hole of an apartment. Like it's revolting. It's disgusting. It's unlivable. Looking at that apartment, like even in the condition it's in, that would go for like like five thousand dollars at least. $5,000 in San Francisco, plus probably another 500 for a parking space. Like, that is a well, nice the apartment. Is the apartment itself was nice. It was just like, well, and the thing that I thought going into this movie, I thought this took place over several months. We find out at the end of the movie, it only takes place in a month. Right. So the fact that he does all this in a month is actually really, really impressive. Because he finally had the motivation of a decent human being. Right, but he learns how to cook, sew, clean, all these things. But, like, she comes in one time where clearly he must have just moved in. Like, it, right. they, And the kids say, this is our first time here. Right. So he'd been there for, like, a week and she's upset that, like, he hasn't completely unpacked and everything And they were like that. both, like, super rude and petty to each other the entire time. So, like, here's something I don't understand. Her asking for a divorce was obviously a big shock to him. Right. And before, like, she obviously was conflicted about it because she loved him, cared for him, but it wasn't working. And, and it she was, seemed shocked when she asked for it. Initially. She did. It was like, obviously, them being together was detrimental to their children and their well-being. Right. So that's, like, kind of where she was coming from. For her to immediately be treating him like garbage and him to be treating her like garbage, like, I kind of understand coming from him a little bit more. Just because he's being attacked and he yeah, feels Yeah, but slighted. they were both total jerks to each other in front of their kids. Well, before she even gets there so she shows up uh an hour early to pick up the kids and she was an hour late dropping them off which that's not okay no like not you're setting all. a precedent and you're showing your kids not to respect the plus law if you're gonna take him to court for custody you need to be respecting the court order you're right because then you're showing that you're not living up to it so he says something about wishing the mom would get dysentery <laughs> and then like the brother d- describes in great detail what dysentery is and the little girl um played by uh, mara wilson is like super shocked why would you say that dad which i thought was hilarious <laughs> um but yeah it's super messed up that you know she doesn't even she didn't like respect knock. Him well she honks down in the street and then she just barges in right and then like that does come back later like towards the two-thirds of the way through the movie when he's kind of got his life together he's got he says he has two jobs. Obviously, one of them is being Mrs. Doubtfire, and the other one is working at that <laughs> TV studio doing a bunch of stuff. And but I'm, the court asks for pay stubs. Right. So that's kind of odd. I mean, if she was paying cash. Because uh, he just said he was cleaning the houses. The court wouldn't accept anything that was under the table. So maybe that wouldn't technically contribute to his file right but he still had that other job and that other job alone was enough to get the apartment apparently so i right, think he's probably right because in the 90s fine. people could actually like afford to pay rent right um <laughs> <laughs> san francisco is dead to us so pierce brosnan looking pretty fine in this movie yeah this was, i think this was peak brosnan this was pre goldeneye brosnan by like two years um yeah so he plays Stu, which was an old uh college classmate of miranda's and former like former boyfriend and he like he meets her and is immediately thirsty af yeah he was but then he also was like i'll give you time to like she explains the situation and then she seems very interested and honestly this time around i f- felt bad for him he was generally genuinely a good guy he was a good guy but he wasn't really a believable character um, like, I, he's been pining for Miranda this whole time. He takes a chance and looks her up and is immediately like, let's go out. Finds out she has three kids and is going through a divorce and he's still all in. I think he's like, looking he's a, at it. He's a little mentally unstable. He, he explains it to a friend. I'm sure there's probably some, like, cut scenes. What he explains is, His like. biological clock yeah, is Yeah, he's ticking. like, I'm getting older. <laughs> I don't want to be alone. Here's this woman that I had these immense feelings for in the past who's available. Right. I'm going to 
leap. Like I just think he would have cooled down a little bit after meeting the housekeeper who obviously hates his guts. Right. And hearing about the cluster that her life is. Right. But he, I mean, yeah, I, I agree. I think, you know, he says he's pushing 40s. And let's be real, people in their late 30s, 40s, they don't mess around. Like, they go on a date and they're like, are we going to do this? Like, they don't go three, four dates to see how it is. Like, right. they have a date and if they're interested they keep going mm -hmm. and like people who are older just go move a lot faster and he, he's really into her i kind of get it but right. he's great to the kids he takes them to the swimming pool he gets them gifts he buys random gifts he genuinely seems to be super attached to these kids and the kids like him it's super messed up that Robin Williams' character's Daniel, as Miss Stoutfire, poisons him. Well, doesn't poison him. <laughs> essentially tries poisons to kill him. him. So he says he knows he's that he has an allergy. Like he tried to kill him. Right. If he had died, that would be manslaughter. Right. It totally would have been. Maybe and worse. Yeah. So he did not deserve that. He also vandalizes his car. Like he yanks the, <laughs> right, the hood the ornament Mercedes off. Mercedes thing. And yeah. throws the fruit at him. <laughs> the, yeah. The run by fruiting. Like, honestly, he in real life, he would be serving jail time. Right. Totally. Um, I mean, he did fraud. <laughs> it's wrong on so many levels. Right. It's entirely implausible. And yet, I still love this movie. Oh, it's great. What scenes stood out to you? Um, I really like the scene where uh, Miranda goes to Mrs. Doubtfire and Mrs. Doubtfire's husband got hit by a Guinness truck. She <laughs> says, like, she goes, how did Mr. How did Mrs. Mr. Doubtfire pass? And he goes, the drink took him. He's like, oh, he's an alcoholic. Here's the thing, though. As Mrs. Doubtfire, he really, like, paints himself into corners unnecessarily a lot of the time. So, like, he makes up these ridiculous far-fetched stories on the fly, which I, I can understand. Like, some people are not good at thinking on their feet. But, but then, he is, because he comes up with these things, and he's able to do these impressions. And But then there's this scene where Miranda says, oh, will you come with us? Stu wants to bring you with us for my birthday dinner at Bridges, which is the restaurant that, um, what's his character? Lundy. No. Daniel? Daniel. Dan which is the restaurant that Daniel's supposed to meet his boss at to discuss this amazing career opportunity. It's happening at the same time, the same night, same restaurant. Why didn't Mrs. Classic two date scenario. But Mrs. Doubtfire could have just been like, I'm busy. Sorry. Well, she like, said she was busy. But he it, should have fought harder as Mrs. Doubtfire to be like, can't do it. Like, I mean, because Miranda doesn't own her. Like, right. she's under no obligation to she's be an there constantly. Yeah. And so, like, he, he, that was a great opportunity for him to like be there and kind of spy on them incognito and do his thing. Instead, right. he shot that horse in the face well, for no reason. So his excuse was, oh, I, it's my bingo. turn to pull the balls at bingo. But if he was smart, like, oh, I have an old friend from London who's only in town for two right. days and I can't, you know, that would have been a better kind of excuse. I agree. Granted, it made for a very entertaining scene. Right. And, I mean, that whole scene is, you know, every sitcom has done that at some point where the two dates and they move back and forth. And this was done really well. And, like, it finally gets blown when he accidentally goes to, to his boss, Lundy, as Mrs. Doubtfire. And then he has to be like, oh, that's my character. But then Stu starts to choke because he almost killed him with Pepper. And so he has to do the Heimlich and that's how he gets discovered. And that line, I didn't remember, but the, the whole time. The whole time? The whole time? <laughs> because she's like, you see it running through her mind, right. like all the crap that she talked to him well, about. Well, the thing is, like, he's super manipulative. So kind of getting back to the scene I was kind of talking about when she talks about her the her ex or her late husband getting killed by the drink, getting run over by a Guinness truck. Right. 
she asked, uh, Miranda asked, like, hey, when did you have the, the desire to be with another man again? And he's like, never. Once you're the husband of your children is no longer in the picture. <laughs> Absolute celibacy is the only way. And then, yeah. like, there's another scene where she's picking clothing out and one's like this really nice red dress that's you know really pretty and then there's just not like this little black dress the classic little black dress and he's like you look like a harlot and you look easy and like here's the thing though shames her some of the stuff that miranda was talking to mrs doubtfire about was totally inappropriate for a boss employee i mean like you get close when someone's working in your home but like after a month like you're right. not talking about and that stuff especially with like a a 70 year old woman british irish woman, woman. right <laughs> and that's the thing that's weird is you're right like when you look at things like um the especially because like miranda's background is such a reserved kind of environment right like if you look at the nanny and fraser like they have both of those have somebody who's kind of hey, like the help daphne is special right but <laughs> You know, initially they do have those boundaries and then those boundaries get broken. You're right. Like, I honestly not thought this movie was six months or so. Right. I didn't realize it was only 30 I days. I mean, that's kind of a lot of makeup and stuff to be wearing for six months. Like, he probably spent, I'm guessing he spent like four hours in the makeup chair for this film every morning. Right. I'm, that's just a rough estimate. Right. Um, I do love the scene where he shows up. Someone mentioned this on Twitter. He shows up and says, I need you to make a, wo a woman. And his brother's super excited. But they go through all of these oh, looks. Oh, those are great, though. That scene like, is amazing. It's a great scene. But, like, that would have cost hundreds of dollars in makeup and latex and wigs to do right. that. <laughs> so they do, like, uh, like a Barbara Streisand kind of character. They did, like an old like yiddish woman and then over the top latina yeah um a Cuban, <laughs> a cubano. The children. <laughs> cubana cubana uh yeah cubana well i mean he would be a cubana <laughs> <laughs> um but they're really great and then they sing the other joke that i was kind of like oh, it's a little insensitive is they call um his brother frank's partner aunt jack aunt jack uncle which, frank and aunt jack yeah i had an uncle liz and aunt jerry but it was ulysses and geraldine that makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, here's the thing, though. I feel like the gay community, especially in San Francisco at the time, a lot more men fell into that stereotypical, um, really effeminate right. pattern. And I think part of that is like being out and proud and finding their place in the world. So I kind of understand where that flamboyance and that over-the-top stuff comes from i think you see a lot less of that these right. days but back then i don't think that was really that offensive in that community these days yes right but um, i don't think it was even offensive to them right that's obviously that's family right but i mean i see can see this day and age somebody watching this movie for the first time could be offended by that right uh but i mean do we need to examine the deeper patriarchal issue where calling someone an effeminate I just effeminate anything is insulting because we hate women. That's true. We do. <laughs> um, That's the, too deep for this. The other thing that was weird about this movie is as Mrs. Doubtfire, there are several times in the movie where he hits on women and that costs us. There's a point where they're like by, on a bike through, through the Presidio, which I, we haven't said it, but this movie may, really made me miss San Francisco. I know. Uh, but they're on a bike ride in the Presidio and he almost crashes because he does like a double take to stare at this woman. That was Chrissy Field. That's right by the Presidio. No, it's not. It's pretty close. No, it's not. It's like two miles. No, it's not. A mile and a half. Not even. 
It's, You're crazy. Christie Field is not the Presidio. It's right by it. It's they not the Presidio. Met. Anyway. <sighs> then he also, at the poolside bar, there's this woman who comes up in this like bathing suit, and he tries to buy her a drink, and he's like, it's on me. I love that she's like the stereotypical 90s version of hot. Right. Flat <laughs> 90s butt. The flat 90s butt in the high-cut bikini. Right. <laughs> and he does that throughout, and there's a bunch of times where, you know, like, there's one time somebody tries to mug him, and he's like, back off, and it's like man voice. And right. Stu's friend, like the guy who is kind of like, what are you doing with these you know, three kids, and he explains, like, oh, you know, I really like the woman, I really like the kids, and I want to settle down. He he leaves, and then the friend's still sitting at the bar, and Daniel as Mrs. Doubtfire still at the bar, and then he says something in his voice, and the friend looks weird at him, like, that friend would go and tell Stu that Mrs. Doubtfire's a man. Like, there's no way. If he's concerned enough to, like, about his well-being, like, and settling down, he's gonna tell his friend, dude, that- right. That nanny's a man. So the kids actually, the two older kids, discover. About halfway through. Yeah, about halfway through. This is also a really problematic scene because the son walks in on Mrs. Doubtfire peeing, standing up, <laughs> and runs out and is like, he's a she, he's a she, she. And the daughter <laughs> immediately like grabs a weapon. It's the like. tennis racket. It's, uh, I mean, like as a kid, yeah, that's terrifying. But to like put that in a movie and create this like paranoia that trans women are going to rape you or do something right. untoward is, it's like, it's really problematic. Yeah. Yeah. So. It's a sign of the times. Towards the end of the movie. Um, so the big job opportunity that Robin Williams character had was he was just like a warehouse guy at a TV studio. And one night he's like playing with the toys on a science show kind of thing. And the owner of the station sees him and decides, Hey, I'm going to give you a shot. Pitch me a couple, you know, TV shows. And so he ultimately gets a TV show as Mrs. Doubtfire. Mm-hmm. And it's weird. Cause the family leaves the TV on while they're interviewing a bunch of other nannies. Mm-hmm. And they're all terrible. And then they go and find out. And then Miranda's like, we can't get rid of Mrs. Doubtfire. So she goes and talks to Daniel. And they have a fight. But then the fight get is over pretty quick. And she goes, you can have the kids on the weekdays. And, like, it all resolves itself. And it kind of ends happily. She's very generous with him. Very, very generous. <laughs> and I get it. He put in the effort. And it was, it was still super messed up. But, yeah, it's weird. Like, I feel... I loved the movie. Don't get me wrong. I had a blast watching it, mm-hmm. but I do feel a lot more conflicted about it, watching it kind of critically. Yeah. I think I think if we're not taking notes, though, we'll enjoy it right. just as much well, as I mean, we I ever did. I still love there are such, watching There are so movie. many great scenes, like the scene of him switching between himself and Mrs. Doubtfire when the inspector comes to look at his apartment and you know the the face and the cake thing like that's such a classic thing there are just so many great moments like it's solid comedy from beginning to end and it's so well executed yeah it's fantastic um the one thing that i think all of us did because of this movie was abuse our vacuum cleaners oh yeah that's right (laughs) kind of push it out in front of you and then pull it back by the cord like i probably every single parent in the country was annoyed by this movie I did have one other major problem with this movie. What? I understand that he's getting less of a parental role because he doesn't have custody. Mm-hmm. But I think if, obviously we don't have kids, but I'd, I'd like to think that if you and I had kids and somehow ended up divorced, which would never happen, but if it did happen, 
before hiring a nanny, you would let me be involved in that process. Right. And, you know, I might also do a background check. Right. <laughs> well, in the 90s, <laughs> Make sure a this is a trickier. real person. Back in the 80s and 90s is a lot easier to... Uh, I think people would have gotten someone through an agency if they were Miranda. Yeah, you f- she probably would have, but... Mrs. Doubtfire never meets Daniel. Now, yeah. obviously, they're the same person, but <laughs> what kind of parent wouldn't let the other parent at least meet this person, be part of the interview process? Right. That's kind of weird. It is weird, but at the same time, she has custody, so right. legally, she really doesn't have to do anything. She doesn't have to, but- It's like, messed up. It's totally messed up. I do think if they were to like- So they were going to make a sequel to this movie, That's and they had several idea. like iterations, and then unfortunately, Robin Williams passed, and- Obviously, it was not going to happen. But if they were to reboot this movie, I have a few changes that I would make. So, like, I think it's such a big stretch for someone to go from being a slob and, a you know, a loving parent that the kids loved because he was more of a friend than a parent mm-hmm. to being this really stern, you know, nanny. So, like, the first scene that they're with her, like, the first day that they're alone with her... She makes them do their homework and it makes them do chores and stuff. because he's a master manipulator and that's right. exactly what Miranda wanted. Right. So the problem, you know, it's it's a little strange that he's able to do that so quickly. But if I were to rewrite this movie, what I would have done is he does the little thing with like the crank calls. Mm-hmm. And she's like, she goes to him like, man, I got like all these psychos and weirdos and people calling. I don't know if I'm going to be able to find a nanny. And then he makes one final effort. Like, if you're having trouble let me in let me help them i'll do it and then she still says no and then he decides to get desperate and and come up with the mrs doubtfire character i think that would have been a little bit more of a believable arc mm-hmm. um that that would be one thing that i would do if i rewrote this movie i would not rewrite this movie it's a gem <laughs> and i love it the way it is it's a great movie i had a blast watching it it definitely holds There's up just so many good moments like and sally field is such an excellent actress oh she's great um, she took a character who could easily have been really not very interesting and at all. unlikable. Yeah, very unlikable. And she gave her so much life. And she's just a great actress. And she I was well-grounded her. and you understood where she was coming from. And right. even she, her character her character had growth. Like there's a scene where mm-hmm. the first time Mrs. Doubtfire meets the kids, um, she says something about the, 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 the parent, the kids say something about the the mom being mean to the dad and Mrs. Doubtfire is like, you shouldn't talk to your mother like that. That's mm-hmm. inappropriate. And then Miranda says something negative about Daniel and she goes, Mrs. Doubtfire goes to Miranda and goes, you know, I know this is fresh, but you would never badmouth the other parent in front of your kids. Of course you would, you know, take that into another room kind of thing. And she kind of taught Miranda lessons like, Hey, even though you're not getting along with the father, you still need to respect him. Right. And I did like that. Yeah. So. Now, there's just a lot of good moments. Like the scene where um, his boss walks in on him playing with the dinosaurs, and that's kind of how he I'm gets the raptor. idea. <laughs> I'll be back, back but I'm, I'm coming, coming as, back as oil. oil. Yeah. <laughs> it's great. I mean, and it, it's interesting. I wood. No, 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 no. <laughs> it tastes good. Interesting. No. I, I just, this entire movie was warm fuzzy for me. No meat. No, it's no no meat, big feet. No. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, from the very beginning of this movie, I swear to God, I remember all of the lines you in this movie. did the part at the beginning of the movie with the cartoon that he's doing the voiceover for. You did the whole... <laughs> 
thing. <laughs> I can sing the whole thing. Which, but I think that's just because I listened to a lot of opera in college. But you did even part of like, the Tweety Bird like, knockoff character <laughs> speaking. Like, he did some of the cigarette <laughs> stuff, too, which surprised me. I knew. I know this entire movie because we had it on VHS. It was a great family film. My entire family liked to watch it. So it was on heavy rotation in my house. And it's amazing how even now feeling completely differently about Daniel's character and his actions, when I watch the scene where he gets found out, I still feel physically ill for him. I do too. And I think that's like just how strong the children's memories are of this movie. And it's a testament of how much they did to make you like this character yeah. even though he's doing something you get really wrong. emotionally invested in this film and I, agree. I just love it i love it i would watch it again tomorrow <laughs> <laughs> it's a good movie I, I had a blast watching definitely my childhood wasn't ruined i looked at it in a completely different light but i still enjoyed it i do relate a little bit more to daniel these days he has this one line where he says do you ever wish you could freeze frame a single moment in your life look at it and say this is not my life right yeah <laughs> every day daniel <laughs> and like we didn't even really get into the one-liners and i'm not gonna go, like i'll probably make like a super cut or something when i edit this but there, there's so many great jokes and one-liners there in are. this movie like we, we wouldn't do them justice even trying to do them right and now that we were like focusing and trying to watch it i think we were able to appreciate them even more right and we noticed they so just much fly more. under the radar usually like all those dirty jokes oh my like, god i don't remember those at all yeah um well that's it yeah. for me um i'm good love this movie think it's still fantastic it's a couple problematic jokes in this day and age but pretty mild honestly pretty mild, i thought it was gonna be a lot when worse it was made, yeah. and, it's, and it being robin williams who gets pretty raunchy right so what are we talking about next time so i'm gonna give you a choice so i had oh. the one that i wanted to do so i wanted to cover the rocketeer but our new patron uh, Jesus sent me a message asking if we were ever going to do Who Framed Roger Rabbit. All right. This one's for you, Jesus. We're doing Who Framed Roger Rabbit. I'm I'm down. So, of course, anybody who's listening, tell us what you think about Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Tell us what you remember. You can tweet, comment, DM uh, Katrina or myself on Instagram or, or Twitter. That's Katrina Ossity. And we're MDX Pods. Check out her YouTube. It's pretty great. She's got all these DIY stuff. Oh, stop. Yeah. And then, of course, check out our other podcast, Remake Rewind. Uh, we have a new host. His name is Alex. He's pretty great. So check it out. We're doing some new things on that podcast. And, of course, just check out our website, Twitter, Instagram for daily updates, Facebook. It's all MDX pods. Don't worry about Vero. We're on it, but don't trip. <laughs> <laughs> and that's it. Thanks for listening. All right. Have a good one, guys.